When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Most people like to say they live their lives with no regrets the big choices in life, most people are happy with the decisions they made. Except with university. A study published last month found that a third of recent graduates regretted going to uni. Half of them said they could get their job without a degree. For most of these people, generation rent, a university degree is the most expensive thing they'll ever get. So is university a waste of time? Welcome to the Vice UK podcast, Students. Later, we'll be talking with academic and journalist Richard Seymour about the state of universities today. But first, I'm joined by two other people who know their nonsense, vice writers Joe and Seppo. Hello. Hi. Hello. This was A-level results week. Uh, Lots of photos in the Daily Mail of girls jumping up and down with bits of paper. Do you have any memories of your A-level results? I didn't do A-levels. You didn't? When did you? You stopped GCSE? Yeah, I left after GCSEs, yeah. What was your GCSE results day like? Um, pretty underwhelming. It's weird because when they... It's like the big... You know they talk about the big lie in in relation to the Nazis? Yeah. Uh, I feel like the actual big lie is GCSEs because you're told throughout your entire school career that, that this is like the apex of your life and if you fuck this up, then you are... Your life is ruined, basically. And then you get them and you're like, oh, I've got like a C. And then you're like, oh. And then life continues. Yeah, and then life goes on. You go to Reading, everything's fine. Yeah, I mean, I didn't didn't go to Reading because I didn't like live music even then. (laughs) Seppo, do you you do A-levels? I didn't do A-levels. I did the International Baccalaureate. Yeah, posh A-levels. Yeah, in a posh, uh, in an international school. So results day kind of a thing but it wasn't the same as everyone around the country celebrating on the same day like we didn't get to have the same thing that all the other kids had so we just kind of got our results in ran around a bit in school and then went to a party afterwards we're going to talk more about student life in a bit but there have been some other things going on this week bish you found a beach in brixton which is causing you some concern. Yeah. There is a, a pop-up beach in Brixton called uh, Brixton Beach Boulevard, and it features DJs uh, playing soul and funk, obviously. Nice. Um, to a gaggle of whites. Lovely. And it also features um, street food, obviously. So, like, 
po'boys. Just basically like American slop that costs much more than it ever would in America. Right. Um, and it also has a dress code, which is um, beachwear is acceptable, but tracksuits are not. Right. So bikinis in the middle of Brixton. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Tracksuits. Absolutely not. Absolutely right. not, yet. And it is kind of basically just saying, here's our cool beach pop-up. Uh, if you grew up around here, please don't ever come near it um, because we don't want to look at you. And looking at you makes us sad and we're trying to have a Miami Vice-themed 80s beach party here. So just please, just just get out, go away. Just like go back to like, I don't know, like where, don't know where you hang out, but go and hang out there. Isn't that what like a lot of Brixton is implicitly saying anyway? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but this is like, most of Brixton is saying that with its existence. Yeah. And it's like new And by shops. this we're talking about gentrification, yeah. new cafes, yeah. the new market. But that's kind like of that. like that's like the the holding your handbag away from someone when they walk past version. Right. Whereas this is kind of just being like, no, get away from me sort of version of it. On the website of this fucking place, it says like come and enjoy our DJs and street food, but also we've got loads of brands here. And I was just thinking like what does that mean? <laughs> what does it when mean? are brands are Paul? Like, yeah, what, but what also do you wanna... like when when you think of the word brand <laughs> Like, in terms of an attraction, what does that conjure up? Because I just think of, like, a sign with Nike written on it. And there's, like, a representative from Nike there who's just sort of standing there with his arms folded, like, looking at his Blackberry or something. So what? Did, what, what why, why am I going to go to this fucking shitty beach in the middle of, like, a sort of semi-deprived area? Yeah. Corona is not exactly a festival headliner. No, it's like, <laughs> what, what's that, what? They're all the same thing as well. All these, like, street food stalls and all these, like pop-ups they're all the same thing and i said in that article which you should read by the way why does everything have to be like an experience it's like oh this is like an 80s miami experience or a secret cinema is a fucking marty mcfly experience you could shag your mom if you want or something like that whatever it is i mean whatever they do in uh back to the future i've not seen it but um it's like everything's got to have like a like a chintzy lame experiencing so like, why can't you just go and sit in a fucking bar and get a drink like stop acting like you're 14 and you need like thought park everywhere you go do you know what i mean do you think that is what it is, infantilization of grown people? Well, yeah, I mean, that's just happening more and more and more. And, and it's... people are just lame. Like, if you think that you're so boring that you can't have a good time by just hanging out with your friends without a theme, then maybe you're just a lame person. Yeah, I mean, all these people are lame. That is that is a given. But they're taking their lameness and making it into like a... It's almost like a politi- politicized lameness. Right. It's like they're, f- they're they're actually like displacing people with bi- by being shit. Yeah. Which is like a new phenomenon. Yes, that is what secret cinema is, isn't it? It's like taking a place that was something good and turning it into a shit theme park. Yeah. Seppo, you sent me such a weird thing this week about a giant clitoris sculpture. Oh, I love this thing. It's basically this lovely little, like, 3D model that somebody in France, a designer in France, has set up to get kids to understand more about, like, female sexual anatomy in sex ed because so much of it still tends to be focused on like the reproductive stuff which generally is focused on like penises and sperm because the kind of female orgasm is like a weird relic we don't really know what it's there for but the male orgasm has a function therefore we learn about it so much more in school i don't want to poo poo this (gasps) but the picture that you sent me seems very uh context free (laughs) (laughs) When you actually look at this 3D model of this clitoris, it kind of looks like a wishbone. Right. Or like, 
a hat for you a small toy. You don't get to see it in its surroundings. Yes, you don't see it in the context. You don't see it anywhere near the mons pubis or like the labia or anything. It's just right. like a kind of weird abstraction of the clitoris. It'd be like if they made a big like dick hole sculpture and that's literally all it was, like a big black hole that you stare down. Like it's very, mm, without mm. the context, it's quite an unusual thing. It's hard because obviously the clitoris is like, embedded in like the folds of a woman's body like a penis is like bleh, like it flops out and it's like hi so you know it's easier to kind of model that but with the clitoris we've got to start somewhere and right. I think this is like a great place to start Bish have you seen this? I have yeah what's your review? the shape of it the wishbone shape like you say is <laughs> it's all red so it looks like someone's dropped a wishbone in a pool of blood oh that sounds and, lovely no it's horrible <laughs> but, no, but I, I agree it's good to teach um, people about their uh, clitorati and it's you know it's the only uh, it's the only part of the, either of our bodies that is exists solely for pleasure. I never put a condom on a cucumber or any of that stuff. Did you wow. do that? No. Yeah, we did that with a really good biology teacher who taught us about like the clitoris, and he was like, "Boys, you want to go and listen to this one?" <laughs> listen to what one? To where to, where to find the clitoris? <laughs> listen closely, guys. Put your ear right up against it. <laughs> <laughs> like really get in there, guys. He basically was trying to get all of our male classmates to learn how to do cunnilingus, aged about fourteen, and I respect him for that. Love you, Mister. Using Anderson. what teaching methods? He wasn't doing a demonstration, but he no was just mime. he was showing us on a very big diagram. Well, there was some weird sort of relationship advice that all school children got in the country this week, which was that uh, UCAS, who are the people who deal with like university applications and all of that, said that if you are going to university this year, you should break up with your significant other. Is that a rock solid piece of advice? 100%. Yeah, what are you yeah. doing still dating the same person who met you when you were a child and most likely an idiot? Once you're trying to get into the next stage of your life, you got you got to lose that. Yeah, you got to do it. This story really reminded me how infuriating young people are, including me when I was a young person. Where yeah. they're so convinced that they'll be the exception to the rule that they're going to stay <laughs> with their like sixth form boyfriend forever instead of like having sort of shit Skype sex for like four months and then like uh-huh. fucking someone in a uni club and then just doing the same thing that everyone else does. Bish. There has been a lot of sort of uni stuff on Vice this week. Yeah, too much. How does it make you feel? Still to this day remains the best decision I've made was to not go. And that's not because I feel like it would have negatively affected my life, even though it would have done because it would have put me in loads of debt. I was not earning any money. I thought, okay, here's now I'm now at the legal age where I can earn money now. Mm. Why don't I just do that instead? We're going to hear in a moment from uh, a bunch of international students who studied in the UK about what they think of British student culture, which isn't exactly what happened with you because you were studying here before for A-levels and stuff, but it was kind of a similar situation. I mean, it basically is what happened to me. Right. I did get here and I was like, what is... I thought I understood England and I just did not understand it at all by the time I got to university. What what was the most shocking thing? Um, Everyone's dumb. I just I I didn't realize how like little everyone understood about history and like how little they understood about like how the world works basically. Right. So, so what you're saying is you rolled down from your international school where yep. you got taught about the revolutions mm-hmm. and they were all there being like, "Oh yeah, I think King Henry happened." Yeah. And you thought that you were better than them. Everyone loved the Tudors, but they didn't know anything about like colonialism or the Cold War or like recent world history. Yes, that's boring. <laughs> the Tudors are great. Tudors like loads of beheadings and stuff. Ooh, colonialism. Yeah, boring. everyone loves it. <laughs> boring. People didn't really seem to know about like what Britain had done in the rest of the world in the recent years, which right. I found really quite fascinating. 
That is a very nuanced and subtle point about world history. Let's hear what today's international students think of British student culture. Oh, I thought it would be crazy. Like, I thought we would be doing the craziest shit, which we actually were doing all of that. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Because in Australia, halls really isn't a thing. Like, everyone is just in share houses. And we have O week, which is orientation week, but it's no, it's nowhere near the same level. Clubs are nice. Um, sometimes you're lucky and you have a great crowd. Sometimes I've had a couple of really rough nights in fabric, for example. They do sort of ruin your night, to be honest, if you get into a huge argument with a group of people for like the smallest thing. It's just everyone's a bit boozed up and tensions are a bit higher than, than normal. I've seen people who've been like lying down, like fucking foaming from their mouth and stuff outside the fucking club. It's just like, what have you done to yourself? You're supposed to be having a good time on the night out, bro. What is this? Jesus, Mary, Joseph, Father. Someone get <laughs> the Holy Trinity. <laughs> I don't even, I can't even cope. In England, it always seems like people are under time pressure, so they just want to drink as much as bloody possible in a short period of time. So they get reasonably drunk extremely quickly. I prefer have a good long night out. You don't even know what drinking is until you go to the UK or even Europe for that matter. So these are international students that we rang up this week to ask what surprised them about British student culture. Seppo, does any of this ring true with you? I feel as though a lot of kids show off being excited about drinking, but as somebody who was partying really hard in high school, I got to university and I was like, really? This? You guys are drunk after two drinks? I was amazed at how lightweight everyone was. Like one of the things that I thought was weird was when people were talking about fit. You know, like people would always say, oh, that, that girl is really fit. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? They're like, no, man, she's really fit. But I don't know why they're using that word exactly. It's just one of those cultural things. Hearing spliff in real life was funny because it just sounds like such a joke word to me. What else? Peng? Still don't really know what that means. There's this one. Are you all right? <laughs> my favorite. That's my favorite phrase that they would say. And I'd be like, why wouldn't I be all right? Like, I'm qu- I'm quite okay. Like, are you okay? Well, at the beginning when I was talking to really, like, native Scottish people, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I've literally never been to the student union, which is quite bad. Um, I walk by it all the time. There's lots of posters. That's where all the nerds hang out, so I just don't really go in there. You know, everyone follows their own interests, and they're happy to do that. Everyone just feels more comfortable being who they are. So it's quite easy to get what you want with your accent and just, like, always smiling with people, so... I immediately found that it was easy. I mean, on the first day, I just, like, you know, worked it and milked it. You're laughing. (laughs) I'm only laughing because so many things that you don't expect to be a culture shock really are when you move to a place where everyone speaks the same language as you. Like, you just think, hey, I know English. English. I've been doing this my whole life. And then you actually go to England and you're like, wait, what is going on with the amount of accents and all the slang and all the greetings that I don't know? The drug culture is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. London has always had this reputation for ridiculous drugs. I mean, any club you go to, you can see people doing some sort of drugs. I've seen people talk about it so casually, like, yeah, I'm just going to take a bit of this ketamine and then I'm going to hit the some ecstasy in the back you know and and like it, it, it blows my mind how casual it is it doesn't seem safe sit there being like oh my god is this guy like about to have a joint i was actually very surprised to see how expensive weed is really really like that struck me out over here it's 
skunk, which is sort of like indoor grown under LEDs and stuff. And all of it in India is like grown in sunlight the same way it is in Jamaica. Drugs. More hair, less hair. <laughs> way more, way more. Right. Uh, I found that often it was the kids who'd grown up in like Herefordshire or like smaller towns showed up like with pills, ready to go big. A guy brought um, his heroin and tourniquet to my 18th birthday party in the first term of uni and I was so not up for it. Sounds like a great birthday party. I mean, I gotta say, it was wine and cheese night and just with a little shot of heroin just to really pep things up a bit. They don't ever do any work. Maybe that's just at my uni, but they just all seem to like party all the time. And I, I just can't, I just can't get my head around that. Just the way they dress on a night out, they just send different um, signals that they may be a bit more forward because uh, let's just say um, the dresses and skirts and shirts are a bit longer in Germany. The girls in London are crazy. They're, they're crazy. Like they out drink me. They out drink a lot of the guys. They sort of party harder than the guys. I don't know why. It's almost like they need to compensate for something. But women just seem to be way more forward in the UK than they are in, in Germany. I actually had more girls approaching me and making the first move on me. British girls keep to British guys, or at least when they do try new things, it's more of like a one-off sort of experience. They have certain expectations, which certain people don't fulfill for them. Just crazy. Just like the drinking and the drug use, the sex life is also pretty crazy here. And it can be a bit daunting for, for people who come from different cultures to come to London as a student. That was the views of a few international students studying in the UK at the moment. Uh, we're joined now by Richard Seymour, who's an academic and journalist. Can you tell us a bit about kind of your experiences of higher education in, in the UK? The students there were talking about stuff they would never talk to me about. Right. So, I mean, this was quite a revelation in some ways. Um, but not all that surprising. Some of it was about the fact that um, there's a party culture that they couldn't get into. That's largely because the international students who do come over are much more oriented towards success, towards their ultimate goals. Right. Um, so um, actually quite a lot of students in the UK are avoiding the labor market. You know, it's, it's a leisure sector for them for a period of time. Not everybody is there to, you know, have fabulous success. But it doesn't seem as though the British system has got to that stage. It seems as though we're still kind of caught between thinking about university as something that you go to to sort of like enjoy a certain part of your life and start new relationships and broaden your mind. And then also now that it costs money, university is meant to be an investment. We haven't figured out what university actually means and what is it actually for if it costs money and you may not necessarily, you know, get the so-called dream job out of it whether it actually is going to be worth your time. Joe, you didn't go to university and you just said that one of the reasons was that you just wanted to start making money sooner. What I didn't mention is also that I, as someone who was always quite confident as a child, as a teenager and as a young adult now, I didn't really feel the need to have to go somewhere to change my personality or to go somewhere to learn how to be a person in a different way because I was quite happy with who I was 
at the time. Um, this is one of the things that um, is under-theorized and under-thought about in education and pedagogy. We talk about motivation, but it's boxed off into the side. The main thing is we've got to discipline them, we've got to guilt them into working, we've got to um, apply penalties if they don't turn up to classes and so on, hoping that that will somehow make up for the fact that we have no idea how to talk the language of you know, desire and motivation, what really gets them into the classroom in the first place. And it's not surprising um, because most of the classes are boring as fuck. Where do you think that kind of conception of education comes from, that it needs to be kind of strict and very tightly wound and it's not... It's um, it's a number of things. I mean, in one way, it's quite traditional and sort of a very Victorian notion of education that uh, if you just give people information and bang it into their heads, you will train them and they will regurgitate it. And to some extent, that does work. The problem is it doesn't necessarily mean they've understood the information. It doesn't necessarily mean they've integrated it. There have been studies done over and over again which have shown that you can you can train people to regurgitate information in an exam that doesn't in any way affect how they think um, and doesn't necessarily mean they'll be able to do a job or anything like that. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is just it's a neoliberal reformatting of education. So essentially, since students are consumers, uh, the idea is that they are buying slabs of information, testable information, that you can then, which will be considered as human capital, which you can then use in the labor market. And human capital is just anything about you that you can put into circulation uh, in order to return an income stream. And that is essentially how we're encouraging students to think of themselves. Well, if you put it in those terms, teaching uh, is essentially about a transaction wherein you come to me and say, give me some knowledge in exchange for money. I give you some knowledge. You go away, get examined, you know, pass your test and go on and get some more. It's as if it's uh, like akin to a driving test, you know. Um, but teaching in the real world just doesn't work that way. I mean, we've done a lot of stuff and we've been talking a lot this week about this question of like, is university still worth it? And I think one of the reasons that a lot of people are questioning that is if you do look at it in this kind of narrow cost-benefit kind of way, then increasingly it might seem like the benefits don't outweigh the costs. I mean, I think that's uh, pretty much to a T. I mean, if you tell someone... This degree is going to cost you 40 grand or more, and you're going to be in debt for the rest of your life, and you're going to pay interest fees, which are actually uh, interest rates that are quite regressive in their impact. Well, how else are you supposed to think about your degree and your whole educational experience other than, is this worth it? Is this going to, you know, I mean, is the ultimate uh, end point going to uh, reward me sufficiently that it's worth getting into this amount of debt uh, for the rest of my life? Um, but if you think of higher education as a much broader experience in which you change as a person, I mean, any good education changes you as a person, probably changes who you're friends with, changes how you think. You know, one of the longer-term well-known effects of higher education, just for an example, is that it has utterly disintegrated traditional social conservatism. I mean, just because deferential and authoritarian attitudes disappear, you start to think critically and so on. Well, you know, that's just one way in which you just can become utterly transformed by higher education. And if we think about it in those terms, it can be something of a personal liberation and a journey um, much broader than you know, just am I going to get a qualification that will enable me to do a particular kind of job? But it doesn't seem as though the British system has got to that stage. It seems as though we're still kind of caught between thinking about university as something that you go to sort of like enjoy a certain part of your life and start new relationships and broaden your mind. And then also now that it costs money, university is meant to be an investment. Like someone like me who came from a family where they've been saving up, knowing that I was going to go to university, it would cost 
you don't see universities like this like thing that doesn't cost any money that you can do for three years that's going to change your life. You see it as like something that you do going into possibly a career you're going to have for the rest of your life. Like you don't conceptualize it in the same way. Just one thing, I want to qualify this picture of the university as a place, a space of potential DOS. Um, it is that for lots of students, but especially for the growing number of working class students, and that includes me, um, when, I, when I started at university, you have to work. You have to work to survive. Um, you're not getting... Uh, I know that maintenance grants have been cut uh, for poorer students. Um, the loans were never sufficient. I mean, basically, you always have to work. And you end up working. I worked in telesales for £3 an hour. It was appalling. Um, you know, and then doing market research and various other things to support yourself on the side. So you're never quite free from those pressures. But even then, even then, there is something to being in that system where basically the whole point is just to... Uh, learn stuff that, yeah, it does insulate you somewhat from economic pressures. I mean, you've written an article this week for Vice that talks about some of the ways in which the funding of universities has changed the way people think about them. Universities have to act as competitive entrepreneurial units. So you have to engage in very slick advertising and marketing and all the rest of it. Billboards on the tube and that kind of thing. Oh my God, yeah. Um, Since they have to act in that way, that does create different pressures. So for example, vice chancellors are suddenly getting paid exorbitant salaries because you have to be competitive. It's like the private sector. You have to draw the best talent, whatever that means. Um, That does create a situation in which education is more and more seen as somehow, if we can think of it as a tangible object that can be exchanged as a commodity. It's not really like that. It's much more of an open-ended process, but that is having that effect. And I do worry that, obviously, notwithstanding the you know all of this that's happening, teachers do still have a certain latitude in the classroom. There is monitoring, you know, there's all sorts of things, but they can still decide how they teach. But I worry that um, this this sort of... Uh, ranking, which is based on fairly narrow metrics and not necessarily the best metrics, um, will result in teachers constantly second-guessing themselves rather than doing what's best for the students and rather than paying attention to what the students really want and the complexity of their desires. I mean, you mentioned the fact that you can go in there and you can try to conform to the sort of marketization side of it. You could try to be a consumer. You can try to buy uh, a good degree. Or, and and this is the case with most people, you go in with a complex mix of things like you might actually be doing it because you think this is what will make mum and dad happy. Or you might be doing it and thinking, I can really disappoint mum and dad. (laughs) I can really frustrate them by getting terrible results. You know, people come in with all sorts of mixed motivations. Teachers need to be alive to that and aware of that rather than thinking, how am I going to make sure these guys don't give me a a two or a one in the rankings? Mm. As a last thing, I think, you know, you spoke about how you're a working class student when you came to university and how it can have a sort of transformative power in that sense. But then isn't the point, if you are looking for university to kind of change your outcomes, then doesn't it need to do what sort of it should do in, in David Cameron's mind or who, or whoever else that it, it does need to then lift you and help you get a better job and all of those kinds of things? Like if it does fall down on those things, doesn't it also fall down on some of its supposed like transformative potential as always there's a kernel of rationality to this you know when employers start complaining the results are too good because the um, students aren't uh, we're not able to distinguish between uh, candidates now because too many a to c's too many passes right Um, so we need new ways of filtering them and sort of creating new inequalities well okay so there's a certain rationality to that because the whole sort of productive system depends upon hierarchy that said i think that even if 
those are your goals, and those are fairly narrow goals, you know, to get people ready for the labor market or for being participants in particular sectors, even then, trying to treat education as that kind of thing, as a commodity, means that you actually won't even succeed in those kinds of goals. What's going to happen is that as you produce a glut of highly skilled edu uh, and educated individuals in the labor market, the cost of that labor is going to go down. I mean, that's the experience right across the board. Uh, and that's actually the whole point, indeed, because the, this labor is badly needed. But the cost of it is going to go down, so the rewards of it are going to go down. And so if you just went into, into education just for that, it might be self-defeating. And I will let you have the last word on this, because would you say that with three years of advantage of being in the world of work and kind of making connections and doing the rest of it, you felt like you were further ahead than people who you knew who went to university? Um, I think it's different in my case because I'm in an industry which is entirely based around personal relationships and personality and is basically not even remotely related to academia whatsoever. Yeah. Um, started off, or I started off at working at a record label. I now work at a fucking youth media company that I got because I was started to go into a pub and I started hanging out with people and they became my friends. Like this, they're the two you can't, they're, they're unrelatable to me. Like I will say that I never wanted to go to university. I didn't, it was never a thing that I wanted to do, but I would never say that it's pointless. Academia for academia's sake is a positive thing, and if you want to go and study history for, for however long, because you like it, you should be able to do that, whatever whatever the case. But um, I don't think I've got a step up over anyone because I've been working longer. I mean, I'm very lazy. So that is so. So that is the biggest barrier for success to me. It's not my lack of academic success or anything like that. The biggest barrier for me is like my work ethic and I don't know having never been I don't know whether that's something that gets drummed into you at university or not but to me that is the only thing that I would imagine would make me more successful is my work ethic which is almost non-existent so <laughs> there you that's go. very true um, Richard thank you very much for coming in thank you and thanks to Joe and Seppo thanks. thanks for having us that was the Vice UK podcast my name's Sam Wolfson see you later Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.